When Kim Ford was newly married, her husband Mark would tell her stories about the neighborhood he grew up in. As a kid, they walked out to the canal and caught fish and caught shrimp, caught crabs and seafood. And uh, I, I was like, wow. You know, and a lot of things that he told me, I, I never did experience that. I was always very excited to hear it. I'd never tired of hearing the stories. The stories painted this picture of a vibrant community. How the parents all had, like, blue-collar jobs. They all were homeowners. They were able to earn a salary that paid for them to purchase property. It was like a utopia, or... Like a, 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 a mecca a mecca of, of Black people. The stories made her fall in love with the place. But then something happened to that neighborhood and that city, something that changed Kim's dream. We had lost everything. Everything. This is Home Made, an original podcast by Rocket Mortgage about the meaning of homes and what we can learn about ourselves in them. I'm Stephanie Fu. Entire neighborhoods are underwater tonight. Things are so bad in some areas that emergency teams cannot even respond to 911 calls. The neighborhood Kim fell in love with is the Lower Ninth Ward, a historic black community in New Orleans that sits on the Mississippi River. We all know what happened in New Orleans when Hurricane Katrina hit in 2005. 80% of the city was underwater. Over 130,000 homes were destroyed or damaged. 1,800 people died. And more of those people died from the Lower Ninth Ward than any other neighborhood. After Katrina, New Orleans' population dropped by over 50%, and it still hasn't returned to what it once was. Since 2008, about 23 million people have been displaced by environmental disasters globally. Over 200,000 Californians were displaced by wildfires last year alone. With luck, most of these people will rebuild their homes or move to a new, safe place. But their story doesn't end after the flames are extinguished. After tragedy, their sense of home, of place, of belonging can evolve in surprising ways. Today, we're telling the story of Kim Ford and how Katrina changed her and her relationship to the Lower Ninth Ward forever. Kim had lived her whole life in New Orleans, but growing up, she'd never heard the stories of the Lower Ninth. In the late 1800s, Black people flocked there from nearby plantations in the South. They came for working-class jobs and the promise of home ownership. It was always um, a dream to own your own land, because you're always living on somebody else's land and working for someone else. Joyce Jackson is a cultural anthropologist at Louisiana State University. That land ownership gave you a sense of stability and a sense of, you know, value. And when they managed to purchase the land, uh, it stayed in the families for several generations. And that's what was happening in the Lower Ninth Ward. The neighborhood represented freedom. The Lower Ninth Ward had the highest percentage of Black-owned home ownership in the city. Into the late 1900s, the neighborhood was about 98% Black and had one of the highest rates of Black home ownership in the country. And families would stay living side by side for generation after generation. My 
husband's parents owned their house. My husband's grandfather owned the house next door. His side of the family, his family would have uh, parties, birthday parties, and they would have barbecues. They would go to church together. They would have events at church. And it was just different from what I had known. My family didn't do that, and I wanted that. It was different for Kim because she grew up in another neighborhood of New Orleans, the St. Bernard Project. I thought that I would be in the projects all my life. I never thought that I would be able to grow up and afford to buy my own home. In St. Bernard, nobody owned their home. But when she met her husband, Mark, at the age of 28, that started becoming a possibility. He started telling her all these idyllic stories about his childhood, about this black Mecca. She'd go and visit his family there, and it was just as perfect as he described it. They'd walk around the neighborhood and dream of one day owning a home there, of taking their place along the generational timeline, being cared for by neighbors, and then caring for children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren. In the early 2000s, Kim and Mark caught a break. They both had steady jobs in the sales department at the local Hilton Hotel, and a friend of Mark's was selling his house in the Lower Ninth. He wanted them to have it and was willing to be flexible on price. I didn't think it was going to happen because I didn't have friends like that, right? <laughs> I was like, oh, honey, I don't know. I don't know. And sure enough, we were able to get this beautiful corner lot of property, a single family, beautiful home. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was a, it was a big deal for me. It was a big deal for me. It had taken 14 years from when she first started dreaming, but she finally had her own house. Kim was 42 now. She had a teenage daughter, Chrissy. She and her family moved in near Mark's folks in 2003. I always loved being with their family, but then when we got our own home, I felt like we were a real part of that. We weren't just coming in to visit and leave out. We were actually ingratiated into the community. And I love the community. The friends, my neighbors, my neighbors were so kind. Here in the Lower Ninth Ward, they really have the support in the community. Like generations before her, Kim settled into the traditions of her close-knit neighborhood. There are the Mardi Gras Indian families in the Ninth Ward, and there are so many musician families in the Ninth Ward, something that you really don't get in other places. This is Joyce Jackson again, the cultural anthropologist. She also studies ethnomusicology. I mean, look at all these traditions. You know, you just come out in the streets and you enjoy life. I've seen elderly people get up and get into the streets during the Social Aid and Pleasure Club parades, and they forget about the arthritis. They forget about the backaches. They just enjoy life. And and I've seen people just transform, you know, when they get into the streets of, of the Lower Ninth Ward, whether it's a Mardi Gras Indian parade or a Social Aid and Pleasure Club parade. And, and then you have, you have to think about the churches there. There were so many churches there. And uh, so that spirituality is very important, too, when it comes in, in looking at the totality of a community. And Kim thrived in this beautiful space. She began to build dreams of her future and of her children's futures. 
I had a cast iron rocking chair. And my house is across the street from a high school baseball diamond. I used to come home and say, oh yeah, when I grow old, I'm gonna sit right here on this porch and just rock away. Watch those kids play baseball. Watch my grandbabies running around him. And I was just, oh my God, I loved my house so much. And I just felt so thankful. It was a spiritual feeling to have my own space. Then Hurricane Katrina happened and stole all of that right away from me. Hurricane Katrina slammed into New Orleans the last week of August 2005. At the time, Kim, Mark, and Chrissy were in North Carolina for a family wedding. You know, hotels, they give you USA Today. So the USA Today, down the whole hallway, had my neighborhood on the cover. I knew it was my neighborhood because I know the baseball diamond that's across from my house. And I knew the top of the gas station around the corner. And uh, I I knew it immediately. And then it kind of floored me. I just kind of like fell on the floor. I couldn't get up. I couldn't talk. I guess that's what you call shock, right? So all that, it 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 was horrible. The view from Kim's front porch was now the view on everyone's newspaper. And it was flooded. In some areas, 12 feet deep. Houses were pushed off their foundations and just floated away. So immediately we became homeless. Kim had only gone to North Carolina for a weekend trip, but now she couldn't return. You know, when you have this sudden and often violent destruction of a place, it's traumatizing. This is Marla Nelson, a professor of urban studies at the University of New Orleans. She studies the recovery and relocation process of post-Katrina New Orleans. It brings grief and really threatens an individual and a community's identity. But then that loss of the built environment and all those social networks that people depend upon, um, you know, is is shocking and and stress-inducing and really a very traumatic, traumatic experience. This would be true anywhere, but it was especially bad in New Orleans. But I think one way in which New Orleans was unique is that uh, New Orleans had really a large share of its population uh, that had lived there and had never lived somewhere else. If you've ever been to Louisiana, you also know that there just isn't any place remotely like it. The languages and accents are like nothing else you'll hear anywhere in the world. The food is unique, crawfish boils and fried green tomatoes, not to mention the relationship to the land, the swamp, the tides, the alligators, the nutria, the music, jazz, blues, swamp rock. Where else can you hear Zydeco when you turn on the radio? In the Lower Ninth, each block and social club had their own brass street band with its own style of costumes and dancing. It's not like moving from San Francisco to Portland. To leave Louisiana is to lose a singular and irreplaceable culture. We enjoy things that are not common in other places. So if those are gone, you know, you can feel this sense of loss, this disorientation. You have to think about how you want to be 
whole again. And I really was aloof. I was, I was just combobulated. Kim and her family headed to Dallas from North Carolina. Far enough to be safe, close enough to rush back when things were okay. And then they sat there and waited. But they would be waiting for a while. Because the future of Kim's house wasn't the only thing in question. The fate of the entire Lower Ninth Ward rested in the balance. There were concerns about, um, you know, we needed to shrink this footprint to have a more compact city that would be safer uh, and more efficient. How this was displayed was uh, with a map showing neighborhoods of the city that shouldn't come back, right? That this was proposed early on when most uh, residents of the city were still evacuated. And the Lower Ninth Ward was one of those areas. And these initial discussions, along with, you know, very long and, and confusing series of, of planning recovery processes, I think really created a lot of uncertainty and confusion about the future of the neighborhood. During this confusion, Kim and her family came back to assess the damage of their house. They drove into New Orleans, rolled into the Lower Ninth, and from a distance could see their house still standing where it always did. They parked in front, got out, and approached slowly. We knew it was going to be difficult, but was really I really was just not prepared. We had lost everything. We lost the cars, everything. None of that was any more good. All the water had come all up in the house. All the pictures were off the wall. Everything. There was nothing else I could salvage. And I saw things like the dress that my daughter wore in our wedding. All of the pictures of our lives. All of that was just, had to throw all of that away. So it's really like, you know, you lose a loved one. When you, when it's like I was erasing my, we were throwing away our history. So it was very difficult. In the months and years following Katrina, if you owned a home in the Lower Ninth and you wanted to return to it, here were the challenges. Like Kim, you were probably living somewhere outside the city, so you couldn't always tell what was happening to your house. Money was running low, but you still had to pay the mortgage of your house, plus whatever rent you needed for your current housing situation. In terms of repairing your home, Kim faced a total rebuild, but the financial aid that the government offered to residents of areas like the Lower Ninth was much lower than in higher income areas. I, I knew I didn't want to take what the government wanted to give me for my house. The Supreme Court would later rule that the government specifically discriminated against Black homeowners. For example, families who had owned their homes the longest were ineligible for aid. That's because many of them had held their homes for generation after generation, but hadn't transferred the title after someone died, so they couldn't prove ownership. Even insurance companies found legal loopholes to keep from having to pay homeowners for flood damage. My homeowner's insurance paid me, I think, uh, $150 for everything, from the ruler to the tutor. <laughs> and uh, I ended up having to sue them in court. And that, on top of, you know, arguably decades of neglect by city officials, uh, you know, convinced, I think, many residents of the Lower Ninth Ward that, you know, if they did come back, they would have to fight for that attention and resources because they weren't going to be a priority uh, in rebuilding. So that was an extra hurdle on top of the insufficient resources to come back and rebuild. Many people decided not to. 
They sold their homes, or more likely, just the land under what remained of them. And they stayed put in the southern cities where they had sought shelter after Katrina. Atlanta, San Antonio, Birmingham. Far from their culture and traditions. But Joyce Jackson, the anthropologist, told us a story about a Mardi Gras Indian who moved to Atlanta after Katrina. She said, when I evacuated, I grabbed my patches, my Indian patches that I was working on for the next uh, Mardi Gras. And she said, that was the thing that kept me going. Mardi Gras Indians are Black New Orleanians who parade during Mardi Gras in Native American-influenced costumes. The tradition is partly an homage to Native tribes who helped Black people escape slavery. And so she said, when I was in Atlanta, I said to myself, if I know they don't have Mardi Gras here. They don't celebrate Mardi Gras here. But if I'm still here at Mardi Gras, I'm going to be walking the streets of Atlanta with my Indian suit on because I'm making it. And it will be shown. This was the first time the culture of the Lower Ninth was spilling out in such a grand scale. So Kim faced a similar decision. Leave behind the Lower Ninth and start over somewhere else or fight to return. I have New Orleans in me. I am New Orleans. I'm New Orleans. It's in my blood. It's my culture. It's who I am. Nobody is going to tell me I can't come back to my home. You know, I want to rebuild my home. And I had to fight to do that. Determined to return home to New Orleans, Kim and her family stuck it out in Dallas. She took the insurance company to court. Her and Mark kept afloat by working odd jobs. She even went before Dallas City Council to advocate for better transitional housing for survivors of Katrina. That day, everybody who was with me got a house that day. Not only did they get a house, they also got a furnished house. I was no longer going to go in the bathroom and close the door and hide from everybody my tears and my sadness at what was happening. And that, that was the first day that I used and I carried my emotion with me. Kim swam against the tide for another three years in Dallas. During that time, thousands of volunteers had come to New Orleans. Some even came from other countries to aid in the rebuilding process. Volunteers are what saved my family and I. Volunteers. Have mercy. God bless people who volunteer right now. Anybody under the sound of my voice. If they got time to volunteer to help to make this world better, it's it's a good thing, especially to families after a disaster. Thanks to Kim's persistence and the help of strangers, her house on that corner lot in the Lower Ninth was rebuilt four years after Katrina. At last, Kim and her family packed up in Dallas and drove back to New Orleans for hopefully the last time. But four years is a long time to be away from home. Things change. Kim was finally back in the Lower Ninth, back among familiar faces, next to the Mississippi River, new things to discover. Matter of fact, I realized my neighbor has a lemon tree in his yard. And I said, oh, neighbor, I never knew you had a lemon tree over here. And immediately he pulled off about 15 huge lemons from me. Kim sat down on her front porch. It's the porch she dreamt of retiring to and watching her grandbabies play around. She looked across the street, out at the baseball diamond. It's no more what a baseball diamond was. So 
yeah, that's a big, that's a significant change. Baseball Diamond and the school it was part of were gone, replaced by a property development. Along with city planners and volunteers, developers have also come to the Lower Ninth and have started to change the landscape. I no longer have that view of the river. And, and, and it's just it's little subtle things like that. And then here in the Lower Ninth, well, in my neighborhood, we cordially wave to each other. Just a, a, a greeting to say, hey, I see you there, I acknowledge you. And we wave. That's how it used to be, anyway. The ward is still mostly Black, but only 40% of the original Lower Ninth population returned to the area after Katrina. The new houses were more expensive and difficult to afford for locals who wanted to return. So many of the new homeowners are hipsters and artists. And the neighboring communities are gentrifying more quickly with funky cafes and gourmet barbecue houses. So people buy it, you know, whoever buys it is fine, but you have to adjust to what is going on in that community. You have to adjust to um, the cultural traditions, the, the parading in the streets. Joyce Jackson says this has led to a clash in expectations. You have to adjust to the, you know, the second line parades, the jazz parades, the, the burial uh, parades, the jazz funerals. Uh, you have to adjust to that drug joint down the street that is very apropos for this community and what the community loves But many of the gentrifiers don't want to adjust. The things that made this place unique can be a nuisance to them. And then the people want to call in the city council and say, you know, deal with the noise ordinance. You know, we don't want all this noise. These bands are too loud. They get street, you know, people parading down the streets with these loud bands. Well, you knew that when you bought the property and moved in. So now you want to come in and you want to change the community structure, you want to change the culture, the traditions of the community that's been over over 100 years, you know, all of a sudden you want to come in and change everything. After fighting to return to the Lower Ninth, Kim realized she would need to keep fighting for that sense of home to maintain some of the old ways of life there. That's why I started Community Recallers, so that I can develop a pathway to hold elected officials accountable. In 2017, she started Community Recallers, an activist group that pressures local government to take action on issues like better access to housing and financial investment in local businesses. My nickname is the Velvet Hammer. I didn't tell you that, but they call me the Velvet Hammer because I write very nice letters, but they are very... When the hammer comes down, it's quite serious. In New Orleans, if you can get over one-third of voters to sign a petition, you can recall a publicly appointed employee, hence the name Community Recallers. Their first target was a New Orleans district attorney named Leon Canizaro, who they felt was disproportionately incarcerating Black men. And I would go out across the street from uh, the criminal courts and I would have petition signings. I would bring my microphone out there and I would talk about the district attorney's office and how terrible they were and all of the injustice that was going on in that building. And it was a joy. It was the only pushback that he had ever gotten. And like we would have parades around marching bands and feet on buckets. So it was pretty cool. The pushback was intense. 
but Kim's petition failed to get enough signatures. Still, Cannizzaro recently decided not to run for another term. Welcome, my fellow New Orleanians, to another episode. Kim also advocates for neighborhood preservation on a weekly community radio show called Tree Shakers. We really highlight people who are shaking the trees and making things happen, not by the cookie cutter. Certainly throughout New Orleans after Hurricane Katrina, there was really an unprecedented resurgence in community activism. This is Marla Nelson again the professor of urban studies. And you had community organizations throughout the city uh, that got very engaged in uh, rebuilding and bringing back their neighborhood. So Kim returned home, didn't like what she was seeing, and became an active participant in saving the neighborhood she loved. But then the thing she valued the most, the intergenerational chain of Ninth Ward residents, one of its links broke off. Kim's daughter Chrissy and her husband had bought a house nearby in the ward and started to raise a family, but they recently sold it to move to Atlanta for better jobs. If I had to put my finger on which thing that I dreamed that really just did not come to fruition, and that's what it would be as my my retirement goals. And in 2004, that was just the easiest of all of the lifetime achievements that I would think would happen surely. Kim's dream was to retire to her porch while her grandkids played around in the yard. She has three grandkids now, ages eight, six, and 18 months. And she wants to be near to them. She wants to move to Atlanta. Of course, her husband is a Ninth Ward native. And so he's set on staying where his roots have been planted his whole life. My husband says, look, I'm going to stay here until I die. I'm going to be here. That's what my husband feels. So it is constant, constant battle with us. As the Lower Ninth continues to recover from Katrina, its future is uncertain. So is Kim's as she considers moving to Atlanta. But if she does, she might find a small piece of the Lower Ninth there in other former residents. In the end, Kim's dream wasn't just of that beautiful corner lot house or the lower ninth ward next to the river or the crabs or the warm breeze. It was the people, the neighbors that took care of each other, the children at the baseball diamond. Sometimes it isn't so much where the porch is, but who's sitting on it with you. You've been listening to Home Made by Rocket Mortgage. My name is Stephanie Fu. You can reach us at rocketmortgage.com slash homemade. Thanks for listening. Equal housing lender licensed in all 50 states. NMLSconsumeraccess.org number 3030.